0: Welcome to the Thunder Buddies Podcast, I'm Joe Masato, joined by Barry Trammell, here to recap the Thunder's 102-99 to win against the Memphis Grizzlies on Monday night in Memphis. Barry, a nice little 76-point turnaround from the last time these two teams played in Memphis, um, went from a historic blowout to um, a really interesting game down the stretch in which Shea Gilgis-Alexander, to no surprise, was very clutch yet again. Um, two games after hitting a, a game tying shot against the pelicans one game after hitting a game winning shot against the clippers shea had a clutch steal in this one um he had a wide open cut that josh kiddie found him on uh, to have a layup late in the game he had eight he, he scored or assisted on eight of the thunders final 10 points barry because you wrote about it today just his um, where he stands among clutch players in the NBA this season, what you've seen the last two games before tonight, and then tonight, just um, we, we didn't even talk about the game winner. What 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 stood out to you when watching Shea in these last few games? Well, he's not you know he's not as efficient as he was last season
1: in terms of the shot making and the field goal percentages, all that. But he seems to be you know to rise above. When he has a poor game, he rises above it, gets into the last minute or two, and and uh, hangs in there and, and, and produces. And we saw it against the Clippers. We saw it again tonight. The Thunder is actually a pretty good team if they keep the game close. They're pretty good in close games. Now, they often get blown out, and that's why they're 10 and 19. But –
0: I think they're what, like eight and seven or nine and seven in clutch time games. Though. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. So,
1: uh, and last year they were really good. So he's <laughs> and
0: and two years ago they were like historically. That's good.
1: exactly right. So <laughs> this is a to me it's a really good sign. Keep a game close, you got a chance. So uh, and and of course the back to back nights of of popping a uh, a fabulous. Uh, shot at the end of the game is, to me, it's just great development. It's great uh, confidence on SGA's part. It's just good for the future to know that your cornerstone player is not afraid of the moment and uh, yeah. produces and comes through, uh, comes through in the clutch. So I think that's, that's very good and, and bodes well for the future when the Thunder is in a bunch more close games. Um, and and we saw it again tonight. He he didn't hit a a buzzer beater. He didn't need to, but he was really good. You pointed out to Mark Dagnall some of the some of the uh, stats of in terms of down the stretch SGA's impact on the game in terms of mm-hmm. assisting or scoring down the stretch. So to me, very encouraging what you're seeing out of Shea Gilgis Alexander.
0: Yeah, and like Dagnall attributed it to his like temperament his personality he was like Shea is um, he described him as joyful but like even tempered every game and not much affects him positively or negatively in one way or another is as far as like how that impacts his game and he thinks that you know He's just guessing, but he thinks that might be one thing that helps him stay calm in clutch situations. And and certainly, you would rather have an even-tempered guy in those situations. Um, now, Barry, one of the plays I thought um, Shea sort of, you know, threw a bit of shade at the at the Grizzlies in this one as far as his his defense on that inbound steal. Um, his quote was pretty good on this. He, he said they had been throwing lazy inbounds passes all game, but I wanted to save the steal until the end of the game just in case we needed it. And the opportunity presented itself. So I guess Shea, he could have had that steal at any point during the game, but he thought, okay, you know, we only have a two-point lead here. Maybe I ought to go get this inbounds pass. Well, that's fascinating strategy
1: that probably doesn't hold up to analytics. Uh, delaying no,
0: pro- probably
1: not. However, it does jive with what I saw out on the court. I thought the Grizzlies were a little, what's the word, I thought uh, lackadaisical in every regard. I thought they yeah. were a little, you know, they jump out to a 13-2 lead and led by as much as, was yeah. it, 15 or 17? I can't remember what their big lead was. 16, 16 was 16. the biggest so lead. So 16's the biggest lead early in the game. We're not talking about it. You know, we're still talking first quarter, I think. So yeah. I thought, I, I I just thought they sort of pulled the foot off the gas and didn't look all that sharp down the stretch, or any really any in the second half, uh, or even from the middle from the middle of the second quarter on. I thought they looked sort of checked out. So that jives with what I saw from from SGA's comment. Um, now, you know. Waiting until you you spring it, you know it, it. It's not like you're saving a football play or even an offensive play in basketball, because who knows if you're ever going to get the opportunity, you know, with three minutes left or two minutes left in a tight game. Uh, but worked out for SGA, and and certainly, I, I think that's what I saw out of Memphis is uh, some some lethargic play, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. Uh- Speaking of lethargic play, another play that stood out down the stretch was that inbounds pass from Josh Giddey to Shea Gilgis Alexander that came just before the steal. So, Giddy, who is just an excellent passer in general, but just a just an ex, even more excellent inbounds passer. Um, Dagnall was saying how he sort of like assesses the floor even before the ref gives him the ball on those inbounds passes, and Lou Dort was his first option. Um, Dort curled around the screen, wasn't available. Shea Gilgis-Alexander just cuts hard toward the rim. The Grizzlies completely lose sight of him. It was like a, you know, busted coverage if you want to relate it to football. And Gilgis-Alexander, or Giddy hits SGA in stride for an easy bucket. Um, and this quote from Mark Degnault Barry was, uh, was, was really good. He said... And Mark says this absolutely deadpan. He says they're learning that if anybody that's Australian has the ball on an inbound pass, they should probably cut hard and have their hands ready. Well,
1: well, maybe so. Uh, I wonder if the Jazz going to put Joe Ingles uh, on, the, on the inbounds passes or Patty Mills up in Brooklyn. But, you know, he threw another one similar. Was it Dort that broke free or maybe it was SGA earlier in the game, second or third quarter? Yeah. Similar play. Going the other direction, so I guess that would be second quarter.
0: But um, He's their designated inbounds passer when he's in
1: there. Well you know, the Thunder had one of those in Tabo Cephalosha back in the old days. Not because yeah. he was a fabulous inbounds passer. I think they just could trust him to get it inbounds to somebody instead of screwing around. But but Giddy has turned it into an offensive weapon and um, so two two times tonight on a, on a side inbounds. They get a direct layup off the pass. You don't see that once every ten games, and we saw it twice in three quarters tonight.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, well, and that speaks to what you're saying about the Grizzlies maybe not being super yeah. into Yeah, and another play. I think it was the
1: go-ahead basket. Can't remember the score, but is it? We're talking in the last minute or minute and a half. Thunders down one, and SGA's got the ball, and he sort of he, he gets by his defender pretty far out on the wing. And another grizzly came over uh, to try to cut him off, but he just sort of split him. And all of a sudden, there's nobody under the basket. He just dribbles in for a layup line layup. It's the easiest go ahead basket you'll ever see. There's, you know, just a just a, a layup with, you know, no, no Memphis player within five or eight feet of him.
0: So yeah, I just I think that was with 142 okay, left to you put go. him up 94 93. Yeah. Well, and then he had that nice assist uh, to Giddy that was another go-ahead yeah, basket right. with 50 seconds. Another layup. Yeah, yeah. It, the Thunder out-executed
1: the Memphises in in the uh, in the last three minutes. And Memphis is the more experienced team and the more motivated team and the team that's been winning. What have they won? They won ten in a row or eight in a row or. Something crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, well, they they actually lost last night. Okay. Uh, but to before, Portland, yeah, but yeah, before that, yeah. they they won ten or eleven in a row without Jay Morant. Yeah, without John Morant, they were. I think they went ten and two overall without Morant in the lineup. So he was back tonight for the first time in three weeks, um, nursing a left knee sprain. So I thought he had his moments. Clearly, there's going to be some rust when you're that explosive of a player it's coming back from a knee injury. He had a terrific. Like full court bounce pass that got everyone fired. That, up, was, a good pa- that was
1: a good pass. I'm giving yeah, him that. It was, that was nice. <laughs> it
0: that was, was so nice.
1: much fun. That um, was nice.
0: Memphis has a
1: problem. I can I can dissect some of Memphis problems. They got the ball in Dylan Brooks' hands too much. He's sitting there Ryan acting like Dylan. He, he's sitting there acts like he's Jason <laughs> Kidd or somebody dribbling around so much.
0: Dil- Dylan Brooks is like the most intense player, I think, in the NBA. Like, if there's one guy you want to back you up in a fight that's he, just going to he does compete, do anything possible, it's John Dylan Brooks. Lee, but John,
1: Mor- <laughs> John Morant's on your team. Let him dribble the ball around and see what happens. And yeah. so I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I also, th- I don't think they play Stone Cold Stephen Adams enough for my taste. Um I think Did he, you
0: know he had 12 rebounds in eight in his first eight? Yes,
1: minutes? I, I was about to say. I think he had 30 rebounds tonight. I actually haven't looked up how many rebounds he had, but in that first quarter, I kept thinking he's getting a rebound every time down because Thunder couldn't make it, a shot. Yeah. and I thought he's getting. He finished
0: with. He's literally getting with, a rebound every trip down. on defense. He finished with 14, and 12 of them came in the first eight minutes. Yeah, so I don't think he plays enough, personally.
1: Um, but. I'm admittedly biased, so um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm not. But, um, yeah, if, you know, a game like that, Memphis is fourth in the West, or was yesterday before they lost. I can't, I don't know where they're at now, but.
0: Still is. They had a pretty comfortable margin because uh, okay. well, it drops four, off after that. Fourth
1: in the West. If that's the fourth best team in the West, you know, the Thunder rebuild doesn't have to take forever. If that's, you know, because they're – I kept thinking, you know, they're not very good on offense. I mean, I, I said they're not very good on offense tonight, and I know they've been a pretty good offensive team this year, but I was trying to figure out how and why. I mean, Desmond Bane's a shooter, and, and Jackson can make a shot, but I just really didn't see a ton to like about the Grizzlies tonight. And Again, they weren't playing with a lot of focus, but – so, I don't, I don't know, but uh, good on the Thunder to, to, pull, to win a game like that. Um, especially, especially, as you wrote about, the 76-point turnaround. Um, it's one thing to play them good and play them tough, but to win it, it reminds me of, of two OU football games in history. In 2003, the Sooners just, beat- Just two of them. Just two of them. The Sooners beat Texas A&M 77-nothing in 2003. Uh, this the, the game was not as close as the score indicated. Um, it was absolute domination. The next year down in College Station, a great OU team played for the national championship. They had to huff and puff to beat AM, but they did. 1986, the old OU wishbone. They played Missouri. 77 nothing. The next year, Jamel Holloway's hurt. Charles Thompson makes his first start. Sooners have to huff and puff beat Missouri. I think it was nineteen to fourteen. Forty-two thirty-five was that OU or A and M rematch. And so I, this whole game, I was thinking of those two games, thinking, you know what? They've turned this around and they are competitive. And then, dang! It at the end, if they didn't just go ahead and win, I thought that was, I thought that yeah, was pretty I- impressive.
0: I'm, I'm sure those games were also on Mark Dignalt's, my noted college football fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, uh, I want, do you think, okay, I got a question about Mark Dignalt. I
1: got a question about Mark okay. uh sort of aversion to college football. Yes. If you go up and say, Mark, what do you think of the wishbone offense? Does he have any idea what you're talking about?
0: I bet, he knows, I bet he knows what the wishbone is. You think
1: he knows what the wishbone is?
0: I think My, he's got a much better chance of knowing what the wishbone is than, like, knowing who OU plays in its ball game. Really? Yeah. How would he know that? I mean, He strikes me as more of a historical... But, but the uh, wishbone's
1: been out of vogue for <laughs> 20 years, at least. On the OU level, 30 years. If, well, actually, it's been 30 years outside of the service academies. Hmm, that's a good one. I'm going to ask you next one. time I get a chance because I'm going to bet no. I'm going to bet he doesn't know what the wishbone offense is.
0: Okay, I've got a question for you now. Okay. Is, is A&M losing to OU uh, 77 to nothing more or less embarrassing than the Thunder losing to the Grizzlies by 73 points? Oh, it's way worse. The, the A&M, as the most embarrassing because they
1: – they should be semi on the same level. The Thunders constructed this roster to lose. The Thunders designed to lose this year. Missouri in 1986, they weren't designed to lose, but they weren't any good. The program wasn't any good. It's a losing culture, all that stuff. It's Texas A&M spends a lot of money on football, and they came up 77 points shy of, of the suitors. So that's yeah. embarrassing.
0: They don't. They don't like to rebuild. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. In, in College yeah. Station. No.
1: Not at all. Not at all.
0: Um, you mentioned Memphis's. I mean, speaking of rebuilds, I want to get back to this because I think it's a fascinating conversation. You you can sort of compare Memphis and Oklahoma City as two small market Western Conference teams. The Grizzlies are much further along in their rebuild, and I, I think it was probably less planned than what the Thunder is doing, but Memphis was uh, bad for several years after those really good teams that battled with the Thunder in the playoffs. So they get um, Jaron Jackson Jr. was the fourth, was a f- number four pick. John Morant was the number two pick. The Thunder would love to go the next, I mean, Giddy was six, but they would love to, to pick second and fourth. I mean, that's that's what this is all about. That's what these losses are supposed to lead to. And I think they would be very thrilled to end up with players like Ja Morant and Jaren Jackson Jr. So, if you're not impressed by the Grizzlies, like, how – I, I guess, like, I, I think that's a very good outcome for the Thunder at this point. So, how, how do you sort of balance those two things?
1: Well, I think the Thunder's ahead because they've already got SGA. That's to me, is the difference. Yeah,
0: that's um, true. And
1: and and Giddy, frankly, let's say who's the third best?
0: The Bane. third young building block, a Bane. Yeah, um, you you could say Brooks. I mean, Bane seems like he's more of a you know role player, given how good his three point shooting is. But like tonight, he took twenty shots. So like Desmond Bane's a really good player, yeah. especially in today's NBA. Yeah,
1: this is an aside. It was like TCU Appreciation Night. Kenrich <laughs> Williams and Desmond Bain going against each other. Two guys that when you played them in Big 12's play three, four, five, six years ago, depending on which one guys we're talking about, I guess Bain was two years ago. You thought, oh, he's a nice player. And never once did you think either one's going to play in the NBA. But, you know, both of them had, you know, are carving out what appears to be nice careers. Um, I would say this. I would say the Thunder – if you said right now, Jay, two players the level of Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson will be your reward this year and next year for taking, I think you're right. I think the would said, give them to me, I'll hold. I think if you just said Ja Morant, I think they'd say, yeah. I'll take it. Jaron Jackson, not so much. Um but if they could just get a Ja Morant impact player, I think I think they'd be fine. I really do.
0: Yeah, I mean Ja Morant, I mean their they're so their playstyles are so different so they're hard to compare. But like John ja Morant probably has a higher ceiling than Shea does.
1: You know what yeah, I, you know what I thought of ja, ja Morant tonight when I was watching that game? I thought he is <laughs> He's basically I mean they're not exactly the same, but he's basically SGA who passes like Josh Giddy. That's what Josh Morand is. Now, I don't think he's as good a shooter. But he's faster. He, he's,
0: but he's faster. His athletic skills are yes. more off the charts. That his one, play, that one his, play he made where
1: he went in and
0: got, you know, got body slammed by
1: not not in reality, but he got popped really good by Lou Gentz Dort and basically got knocked to the ground. And somehow, he hadn't, he hadn't taken a shot at the time. And just before his old body lands on the ground, he somehow got the ball up on the rim. Didn't go mm-hmm. in, but he was able to, you know, Harry Houdini, the ball up to where it rolled around the rim. And I thought, how did he get, I don't even know how he got the shot off, much less get it 10 feet high and in the general area of where it's supposed to go. So he's a magician. He's really son- – he's he's the real deal in terms yeah. of 12 years from now, we're going to be sitting there thinking, there's
0: Jal Morant. Look what he can do. Well, yeah, and, and when you have, you know, the older guards in the West like Lillard and Curry and – you know, those guys face out. I think you look at Donovan Mitchell as, like, that next gen- generation. I think John Moran is, is right there, and maybe Shea just a step behind. Um, another question, taking draft picks out of it and everything, just starting a franchise, if we agree that these are the three best players, three best young pieces, not best players, on on these respective teams, would you rather have John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Desmond Bain or Shea Gilders Alexander, Josh Giddy, and Lou Dort?
1: Oh, I'd probably take the Memphis trio just because of the size discrepancy. Um, I would too. I um, would
0: too. I, I think it's close. Yeah, it's, but... it's pretty
1: close. I mean, Giddy, let me tell you what, Giddy's starting to get into special discussion. I'm not saying he is special. But if you look at his box scores the last two games, I mean, for crying out loud, what? let's see, tonight it was 19-5-11, and the other night it was 8-18-10, or 8-18-11.
0: Yeah, well, and tonight he tied his career high in points and set his career high in assists.
1: And last game he tied his career high in rebounds.
0: Well, no he said his He I mean said yeah he said last had, night he had eight what was
1: what would they say the last night it was the highest uh previous game highest highest rebounds for a rookie guard since nineteen eighty one
0: wow is I didn't what even the hear broadcast
1: that. said tonight and i think that must mean magic johnson a nineteen eighty one rookie That's the only thing i can think of so yeah that's
0: no i mean he's he's, he's He's really good. And he's 7-16 um,
1: shooting, which, you know, sometimes his shooting goes south. And so,
0: yeah, he's turning into... He was 2-6 from the free-throw line, which... Yeah, I think you got to make your foul he, shots, yeah. He's he, a bad free-throw shooter. Uh, I think he's in the 60s. Um, doesn't necessarily bode well for, you know, a lot of times you tie that to it, projecting how a guy's going to be as a three-point shooter. Uh, he did shoot it well from three tonight, three of eight, but that's... His passing is sensational. Um, but how he develops as a score is gonna be interesting. Just just going back to the to the question though that I asked earlier. Sorry if you hear some uh background noise. I'm I'm still at the arena here in Memphis. Um like I, I would take Morant I, I'm I I love Shea's game, but I would take Morant over Shea. Um I'm still a believer in Jaron Jackson Jr. Now he's had the injury issues. He's not played great this year, but man, when you just watch that guy and um, you, you see it, he's like the modern big who can step out and shoot it. He's got a great body, um, could play good defense. Like his, like if both players could reach their ceiling, I think I would take his ceiling even over Giddy. So that's that's two of the three right there. And then Bain and Dort are so, sort of washes to me as pretty far behind the the rest of those guys. But I think it's an interesting discussion. Obviously the Thunder pulls way ahead given the amount of draft ammunition they have coming up. But, you know, the Grizzlies two two years from now, three years from now, the Thunder should be, you know, maybe (laughs) at least in the playoffs, in the back end of the playoffs, I would say. The Grizzlies to me, their ceiling is winning the West. I, I really believe that. Yeah. I think they're going You're, to need, you're not as I'm high not on as the high on them.
1: I just don't see two things. I don't see them with enough offensive firepower to to get way better than they are, and I don't see a ton of opportunity to get way better than they are, and their franchise history suggests that their front office is not anything I can get too excited about um so I mean and I, the, in other words I, here, here's here's their the Memphis as I see it Memphis road to improvement is tied to Morant and Jaron Jackson
0: yeah you nailed it self-improvement yeah, nailed it. I, I think self-improvement,
1: it's, self-improvement. I,
0: I'm not worried about Morant like he's Morant. he's gonna be great now my optimism in them is totally dependent on Jaron Jackson Jr. taking the next step um almost like a, like a DeAndre Ayton-ish step where you didn't really know if he was going to be worth that high pick and if Jackson can develop into, into one of those sort of guys, then, then you're looking at something special. Yeah. Then you just got to get Chris Paul, you know?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, maybe Thunder will <laughs> you know, trade for Chris Paul and send him to Memphis. <laughs> um, you know, there, is some, there there are some similarities with Phoenix and Memphis. When you look at the Booker, Aiton duo, um, I'm not saying that the, the skill sets are, are matching, but I am saying you know, Booker and Ayton were sitting there, two young guys. Booker, not as high a draft pick, but still a really outstanding player. And they, you know, they were developing, but they weren't winning much. They were developing, but not winning much. And then all of a sudden, here comes Chris Paul, and they were developed and they won a bunch and still winning so um i don't know that you know the nba the nba trade machine is going is going to generate a, a trade to memphis for some by some nba superstar
0: it just doesn't happen much also we haven't uh, we we failed to mention santi aldama on this podcast who was – a plus fifty-two, Barry. The last time these these guys played, and Santee was not available tonight. He was hurt. So when we're talking about the Memphis core, can, we have discovered
1: the root of all Memphis <laughs> problems on this on this fine December night. Um, did you ever find out the NBA record for plus minus in a single game? Is no, he
0: home? But Surely I'm, he's got it. I'm I'm ninety nine percent confident that he. Owns Surely it.
1: he's got it. Surely he
0: does. Um. I want to end on this because we didn't get a chance to talk about it the last game, but a fairly significant decision that Mark Dignalt made in benching Darius Baisley, who had basically been a a two-year full-time starter for the Thunder and a guy you could just pencil in night after night. Last game they started Aaron Wiggins there going a little small. Tonight they go bigger um against the likes of Jackson and Adams they counter with Robinson Earl in favors Mark Dignall said before the game that you know Robinson Earl's played most of his minutes at center this season they want to get a look at him as a four he projects long term as a four or a five um but just just speaking to Baisley specifically, he, he's really struggled this season. We've talked about his struggles quite a bit. He actually played well tonight off the bench with 10-7. and seven. But what do you think of that decision to to bring Baisley off the bench?
1: I think it's a good decision, not just necessarily for the team, but for Baisley himself. See if this jars him a little bit. I think he's been in about a year and a half malaise, and I think that's not good. Um, I wonder if uh, I wonder if this is going to change him any? I don't know. Offensively, he's four seven tonight. One of three from three, and uh, but his defense continues to be excellent. He had four block shots tonight, and um, so I liked a lot. I liked a lot what I saw of Basley and. There seems to be a belief that he's handled the demotion fairly well. Giddy talked about it after the game um, and said, "Hey, uh, it, the, you know, he could have he could have soured, he could have he could have moped, but he didn't." So, I think it's I think it's uh, a good move by Dagnall, and, and I and I think it potentially could could have a solid impact on
0: on Baisley. Yeah, Yeah. And another guy that, not not really a similar demotion, but Poku had you know, been sent down to the G League. His minutes have been down. I think he's played actually uh, very well these last few games and a little more under control while still maintaining some of that Poku flair that everyone loves. Um, but when we were talking about Baisley just then, I was reminded that in our preseason predictions before last season, one of them was who's going to be the better second-year player, Lou Dort or Darius Baisley. Shout-out to, to our good friend Jenny Carlson because she's the only smart one of the bunch. She picked Dort. Barry, you and I picked Darius Baisley, and it just shows how much like things can change in a couple of seasons and like how hard it is to evaluate some of these young guys. The Thunder didn't even know what they had in Dort. Um, we certainly didn't know what they had in Dort, and we were higher on Baisley. And now those two guys are heading in opposite directions. What was the, no? What was the question? What was the question? It was who's going to be the better second year? Who's going to or- be better in year two? In year two. It was before last it's season. Not it's not who's going to have the better career. It's going to... I think just in year two. Year two. Well, Are, not, are, are you saying that your answer would have been no, different No, I'm saying it's at career. least a defense, that it's not, <laughs> that I, I'm not, my, my uh, you know, the sentence
1: is not ready to be served. If it's year two, then I plead guilty and throw myself on the mercy of the court. <laughs> so, so, use all ambiguity to your advantage. That's, that's the yes. number one thing I learned in college, is use all ambiguity to your advantage.
0: yes. I'll, I'll leave everyone with this fun fact that I at least think is fun. Tonight uh, we had the two coaches, only two coaches in the league who did not play college basketball, much less the NBA, in Taylor Jenkins and Mark Degnault And my idea next time these two teams play is to have a one-on-one game between Dagnalt and Taylor Jenkins. Um, to decide I guess not who is the better but who is not the worst uh, basketball playing NBA head coach. Taylor Jenkins looks awfully big not to have played college basketball. Isn't he? He's a big fella. Isn't he? His beard fits the Grizzlies so well. It's like a perfectly manicured beard. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. What was Taylor we know
1: Dagnot's story, what was Taylor Jenkins doing?
0: You know, I, I should know more about it, but... Um, was,
1: it, was he at least coaching, some, doing some student coaching type situation?
0: I, I'm sure he was. I, I'm pulling up his profile right now. He, he does look big enough to have played, though, so... Hank, he might have been um, playing college football.
1: In which case, if he did, he probably knows what the wishbone offense is. So we might have to... He,
0: uh, he's from Arlington, Texas. He's only 37 years old. Um, he was... And Austin Toro's assistant from 2008 to 12 and then was an assistant with the Hawks and the Bucks. so the, from the Budenholzer coaching tree. But, yeah. Great day. Um, he he studied went to Penn. He's at yeah. the school of business. <laughs> <laughs> God, Lee, he's like a
1: super brain. He's an <laughs> Ivy League scholar. Good for him that said, you know what, life's too short. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some basketball. That's interesting. He interned with the Spurs Operations Department, 0708, which means he's a little bit in front, a little bit after Presti. He missed Sam Presti by a couple of years. That's too bad. We could have got some stories on him from Sam Presti.
0: Yeah. Also, you have, you know, it's cool to see their different paths. One goes to the Wharton School at Penn one, you know, takes a chance and goes to UConn and basically sits outside of Jim Calhoun's office until he gets a, 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 a spot as a manager, and, and now both of them are coaching in the NBA, so pretty cool. Um, Barry, thanks for hopping on. Thank you all for listening to the latest episode of the Thunder Buddies podcast, and we will be back with you on Wednesday night. Um, to recap, the Thunder's game against the Barry. I'm totally losing my mind. <laughs> who, the, who the Thunder got Wednesday night? Uh. Who, do, who do the Thunder have Wednesday? This is really good podcasting to end. Well, you know what is Thunder I, I can figure I got, this out. I got right it. here. I got right here
1: in my date book. Good old fashioned date book will give us the information. They got the Denver's. They
0: got the Nuggets. on The, Wednesday nuggets. Night. the nuggets. The Nuggets. There's your Nugget. They're playing Denver. They're. they're there's me a Nugget, the, the battle for Serbia between Jokic and Pokashevsky. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.